what I found in the industry is there was a lot of coaches who always made the excuse because of those variables, having a program was limiting to them. I don't create programs because I always need to adapt for the athlete and they change day to day. And I remember a lot of people telling me that. And I always thought that was just a kind of a, a cheap bullshit way of excusing themselves from doing the work because the reality of a plan is when you develop that plan, that gives you the structure and the endpoint. And then when the variables come in, you can adjust because you understand where you're trying to go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Invictus Mindset Podcast. Today's guest is VP of Performance at FitLab. He's the Director of Performance for XPT, and he's a human performance specialist, a coach, a speaker, and my favorite part, an educator. One of my favorite humans, PJ Nestler. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much for having me back. I appreciate it. Thank you for that nice intro as well. Can't help it, man. You know, all of these people that I seem to uh, cross paths with on the podcast have such a great resume and it's so fun to uh, be able to highlight you guys a little bit, kind of like high school back in the day where you get to see a nice little recognition piece in the newspaper after a cool game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I still have those in my scrapbook over here. Never get rid of them. Keep them, <laughs> keep, keep, keep always reminiscing down memory lane and sharing it with friends and family. And, um, you know, it's super funny because you've seen it time and time again, like the older we get, the better we were, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It's, I feel like it's kind of funny, but it's also a little bit true. Yeah, absolutely. Those, uh, those stories become a little bit more and more elaborate. I think I get to share a lot of this with, with my fiance who didn't grow up here. So I can really elaborate because she didn't come from American sports. So when I talk about it, I think in her mind, it's probably a little bigger than it was. I show her some of the, the things from the newspaper and, and I was, I was not a phenomenal athlete in high school. I was a, a mediocre athlete who got a couple interceptions here or there that ended up in the newspaper. <laughs> so, uh, or, or just like happened to be the photo that they took, even though the article was just about the game, but it just happens to be me in the photo. And little did you know the power of photos on psychology now in this social media driven world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because, you know, you're such a great educator within the space. You've concept mapped so many different things. You've done a great job digesting really unique concepts from Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese and their implementation of things in their day-to-day -day life, and then finding ways to create structure and translate those things in how you've written curriculums and kind of created step-by-step -step processes and procedures. And that's what I'm really excited to unpack with you today because you take these broad and inclusive things that seem relatively chaotic and all over the place, and you create this really unique concept that is very structured, but then structure is dope because it can be repeated. At what point in your life did you start to be able to create rhymes and rhythms and kind of these methodologies with your brain, like creating concepts around things like fitness that sometimes it's hard to like really quantify certain things. It's an interesting question. I, I think about this often because now in a lot of the roles that I'm in, I, I jump into projects that are not even fitness related. And the way I usually am brought into them is, is oh, PJ is really good at systemizing these things and, and thinking through creating these steps and structures, like you said. And every time I hear something like that, I'm always like, why is this the thing that I'm good at now? And I think back, the reason I think it, 
for some reason, that's just how my brain processed information. And, and I always think to the struggles I had early in my strength and conditioning career because I was obsessed with strength and conditioning. I loved everything about it. I wanted to know everything about it. And I remember early on in some of the roles that I had, I always was trying to understand how the person, my supervisor, the head of the facility, the head of the, the department when I was at URI, I was like, how, how do they do what they do? I, I see outputs you have here. I see this training program where you have the next six months planned out for the football team. But like, how do you have every detail ironed out? What, what are the inputs that you're, you're putting into this program in order to know that this athlete should be front squatting this percentage of their 1RM on week seven? So I was always trying to think of that. I think my brain just needed a, a, a process. And I think part of it is because I've always been somebody who's process driven that's when I got into training. I, I loved the training process. I loved thinking of, I, I remember when I was 13 years old, I bought a, a book I probably still have here. It was like, I think it was called Strength and Conditioning for Football, written by like the Oklahoma strength and conditioning coach or something. And I remember I was a middle school football player, but I would think, okay, wait, a football season starts on August 27th. So today I'm going to do this four cone box drill. And then tomorrow I'm going to do this. And I would hand write out these little programs. And it was always like building towards this end goal, which is obviously what we do in strength and conditioning. So early on in my career, I was trying to find that from other people. And what, what was the system that they were using to implement? Because I always struggled. I always wanted to know the why. I really struggled with just the like people doing things. And uh, fast forward a little bit. I, so I had a few systems I kind of followed. And then I came into the private sector and the systems I was using as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach didn't work anymore because I didn't have athletes who were signing up in strength and conditioning college. It's like, I know the athletes show up on this day. I know how many days a week they'll be here in the off season. I know how many days in the in season. And I know that they leave for summer on this day and I can plan the whole process. In the private sector, it's like, they show up when they show up, they sign up. They may say they're going to come three days a week, but they only do two. They leave sporadically. So you, it's really hard to have that kind of long-term plan, but I couldn't just do randomized stuff and hope that my athletes got better. So I started to adapt that. And luckily I was working at a sports performance facility where uh, I just kind of started following along the people who'd been there for a while and were training all the pros and try to learn from them. What I found often was that there weren't a lot of systems uh, systems that could be replicated. And that's where I think a lot of these sports performance coaches have struggled to scale their business is they just, they just know how to do the thing and they've been doing it for 15, 20 years, so they're just good at it. But when, the, when it comes to teaching it to me, the young, hungry 25-year-old who wants to learn it and take it over, it was really hard to teach to me. So at a certain point, I just started creating it. I, I actually got promoted to the performance director and then it was now my job to teach other coaches. And I remember my boss literally said to me, teach him how to train like you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I had a, a guy that we hired that just started following me around. And I was like, well, when I have an athlete who comes in for speed training, here's what I kind of think about. And I see them run this way and I think, okay, well, I need them to run... I need them to get to point C, but I know I can't get them to point C if I don't teach them B and I can't teach them B if I don't teach them A. So here's where I usually start. And I started just writing that stuff down and it evolved into an internship program, into a mentorship program. And over time, I started putting these pieces together and then we'd get people who'd show up to our internships that were, I have a bachelor's degree. I didn't get my master's. We'd have people who showed up who had 
bachelor's degree in exercise science, master's degree in kinesiology uh, experience at this division one college and this thing. And they'd show up and I would teach them this stuff that seemed relatively simple. And they're like, oh my God, no one's ever broken this down for me like that. So that's what really kind of ignited my passion for teaching. It's like this stuff that came to me that I've just been building in my brain is actually really helpful to people who don't have the experience that I have. So let me keep sharing this stuff with them and, and helping them expedite that learning so they don't have to struggle for the first seven years trying to do it themselves. Let me give them a structure to follow and then they can tweak that structure versus trying to create it from nothing. Wow, PJ. I mean, for those of you listening, if you didn't gain a ton of value and insight there as to how PJ creates systems and structure and kind of, okay, we're here. Let's backtrack a little bit to understand a starting point in order to get to that ABC analogy that you gave. That's really cool, man. I mean, how often do we see some amazing strength coaches out there that produce incredible results with athletes? You're like, how'd you do it? And you're like, I was just being me. And you don't really know what that means. And it's hard to quantify. It's hard to repeat. It's hard to scale a business that way. And what's so interesting, though, that I want to kind of pick your brain on is humans are such complex creatures. It's hard to assume that there's going to be this linear progression because there's sleep factors, there's stress factors, there's all these external stimuli and, and inputs that can vary the outputs. And so from a university level, yes, you're going to see certain athletes three to five days a week. In season, it's going to be a little bit less. Out of season, it's going to be a little bit more. And then as you mentioned, when you got into the private sector, it's challenging. You know, people are high level performers. They got kids, there's traffic, there's, you know, mindset, there's motivational factors, there's injuries, there's all kinds of things that limit the, the showing up of some of these athletes. And so you're inevitably going to have to call audibles and you're going to have to manipulate program design to kind of triage some of these problems in order to think, okay, I can't do the plan that I originally concepted how can I pick maybe three things that are going to maximize the benefit for this athlete to still get them to the destination that I originally had planned without some of the monotonous detail that is inevitably going to miss based on sheer time and exposure? I think that's such a good point because <clears throat> what I found in the industry is there was a lot of coaches who always made the excuse because of those variables, having a program was limiting to them. I don't create programs because I always need to adapt for the athlete and they change day to day. And I remember a lot of people telling me that. And I always thought that was just a kind of a, a cheap bullshit way of excusing themselves from doing the work because the reality of a plan is when you develop that plan, that gives you the structure and the endpoint. And then when the variables come in, you can adjust because you understand where you're trying to go. So it makes it, I'll give us a really simple example. If I know that the exercise I wanted you to do today when you came in to, to work out with me was a, <clears throat> a squat. And I wanted you to do a squat because I wanted a heavy lower body push exercise for whatever purpose we're going for. But you come in today and you're like, mm, my low back is really killing me today. I don't really know if I'm going to be able to squat. If I don't have a plan in place, I could just say, oh, let's do push-ups. That's an exercise, but that doesn't help get us to our goal because the purpose of that squat for today was a heavy lower body push. So if you can't load your spine on the back squat, then I can say, why don't we try Bulgarian split squats today? We'll hold dumbbells and therefore we can do a heavy lower body push, take out the, 
the spinal load and we'll see if we can accomplish the same goal. So I'm, you made the point of calling an audible. The only way you're able to call an audible as a quarterback is when you already have a system in place. And therefore, we know what the play was designed to be. When I saw that linebacker creep up, I know that I can call a certain audible that's going to alter my plan slightly, but still get us to our end goal. Uh, so that's kind of what having the structure does. It allows you to detour from the path, but still stay in the direction that you're trying to go. And it controls the options too, right? Like you and I both know that like, I'll use a Netflix analogy. You know, how often are you like, hey, PJ, what do you want to watch? And then you, you start flipping through Netflix. There's so many options. You spend more time looking for a show to watch than actually watching a show. And then by the time you find the show, you're screwing around on your phone half the time rather than actually enjoying the show. And I know that analogy is incredibly relatable for a lot of our listeners and viewers out there. And so I think what's really cool about what you described, PJ, is you're limiting the options. You're keeping the goal the goal. And that's like, I mean, Dan John says that in Strength and Conditioning 101. Keep the goal the goal. And, you know, I think what's rad about that is you're, you're really capitalizing on simplicity. And when you can narrow your focus that way, it enables you to really aim low. And aiming low does what? It creates consistency. Trident Coffee is sponsoring this episode of the Invictus Mindset Podcast. My guys over at Trident taught me something really important this last year, that we are all a bundle of stories, both good and bad and everything in between. At Trident, they're storytellers. All of their cold brews remind their customers that, that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They help create connections through symbology and storytelling that engage their customers on an emotional level, and this distinguishes them from other coffee brands. You can find Trident in Imperial Beach and in Coronado. They offer over 14 plus nitro cold brews along with dairy-free options. You can find the perfect brew and pair it with one of their treats from their keto bakery. All these options will allow you to support your health and fitness journey with Trident Coffee. They're more than just a coffee company. You can check them out over at tridentcoffee.com and use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Once again, that's tridentcoffee.com. Use code INVICTUS20 for 20% off online and in tap rooms. Take your coffee experience to the next level. Two important factors for us over at Invictus Mindset are true care and attention to detail. My friends over at RX Mark here have been bringing innovative fitness tools to the market since 2009. From their award-winning Evo speed ropes to their amazing gymnastics grips to their line of inflatable fitness equipment, they're constantly looking to problem solve within the fitness industry. They're always allowing us to have our gear work for us rather than against us. Hop on over to RX Mark Gear and use discount code Invictus Mindset to shop their latest cutting edge gear. Have your gear work with you and not against you. Striving to maximize your potential through health, wellness, and high level fitness requires tremendous midline strength and stability. Allow the crew over at Element 26 to co-pilot your journey so that you can destroy PRs and not destroy your body. They have this amazing self-locking weightlifting belt 
that provides a 4-inch uniform profile for optimal intra-abdominal pressure and back support. This quick-release technology allows the pressure to be placed on the buckle and pin instead of the Velcro. Nothing's worse than being at the bottom of a squat and having the Velcro pop on your weightlifting belt. Head on over to element26.co and use code INVICTUS10 at checkout to receive 10% off all online purchases. Head on over to element26.co and use code INVICTUS10 at checkout to receive 10% off all online purchases. Destroy your PRs, not your body. You've kind of had numerous conversations with myself and Gabby and the XPT crew around how you don't like New Year's resolutions. And part of the reason for that is, is it develops this mindset of all or nothing. And the issue with all or nothing is everybody wants to do everything right off the bat. I'm going to sleep eight hours a night. I'm going to really eat, you know, my paleo nutrition. And, you know, I'm going to get into my ice bath every single day. And I'm going to do my XPT breath work. And I'm going to optimize my connections. And it's so much that it might last a week or two. And then it's not sustainable. And so what are your thoughts on, on this type of mindset and how to correct that in order to enhance behavior? Yeah, I think exactly what you said is, is when you go for that all or nothing, <clears throat> when people go for that all or nothing approach, they are not prepared for the small detours because one detour has now failed the approach because the, the end goal was do all these things perfectly. And ultimately, any of those things you're trying to do are not the goal they're trying to take you to the goal. You just believe that executing on those things is the path towards the goal. So I, I always use the analogy of drawing a map. You know, if you, if you do a bunch of what most people do in their health and fitness is is they go, I kind of maybe think I know where I want to be, but I uh, don't really want to take the time to identify that. And then I'm also, even though I kind of I live in California and I kind of want to drive to New York or like the Northeast somewhere, and also. I'm just going to get in my car and start driving and like, we'll see where I end up. The problem there is when I start driving down this road and then it's closed because I don't really know where I want to go. And I don't really know the path I'm trying to take. I could just turn around. I could go left. I could end up, you know, driving into the Pacific ocean because I have no real path set forward. So if we simplify that back and go, okay, I know I want to get to New York and I know the most efficient way to get there is this, then every time one of those detours comes in, it doesn't completely alter my path because those five ice baths a day was really my perception of helping me get to this person I want to become. And if I'm, if I fail at that, then I can still go, okay, wait a minute, maybe I can alter that path and still become this person because maybe that just wasn't the right way to get there. So I, that was kind of a, theoretical way to talk about it. But I think in simple terms, um, and, and you and I spoke about this a little before we got on, ultimately what we're trying to do is, is shift the thought process and behavior. And, and Gabby and I just spoke about this a bunch. I, I did her podcast again last week and we were talking about self-limiting beliefs and how a lot of times what we're trying to accomplish through fitness, through nutrition, through all this is we're trying to change the beliefs you have about yourself in order to start creating progress to get to that goal. The reason people get overwhelmed is they, they try to think about the person they are today accomplishing this, this feat. And they're like, there's no way. I, uh, there's no way I'll be able to do that. What they don't realize is that as you start accomplishing the steps in the way to get there, 
the person you are begins to shift, begins to change, begins to develop so that by the time you get to this obstacle, you have become the person that can overcome that obstacle. Uh, you know, it's every cliche in the world is like the, the, you know, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, all that kind of stuff. It, but it's all true in the training process because that's what you're ultimately trying to do. And I think that's sometimes easier for people. A lot of the people that I, I kind of, I don't do any work with individuals from from a professional perspective anymore, but I have some friends and some um, fighters and some people that I consult with and particularly people who are trying to make weight weight gain or health changes in their life. A lot of what I do is I have them journal things about the person that they're trying to become and then celebrating progress along the way, looking at those small changes and, and understanding that every single thing that you do is important. So it's not just the workouts or the nutrition or it's every thought that you have. Every time that you decide to walk around the block instead of play a video game, every time that you just shift the way you think about something, those are all, uh, I, one of the analogies I love is from, uh, I think you and I probably talked about this last time from the book, uh, Atomic Habits. He saw, talks about changing habits and he says, you don't have to win at everything. You just have to win the majority of the votes because every action, he, he says every action you take is a vote towards the person you ultimately become. I honestly believe it goes further. Every thought you have is a vote towards the person that you're going to become. So if you continue to think about that and you effectively try to win the majority of those votes every single day, and the majority is, doesn't mean all, right? That all or nothing approach it just means more than 50%. So if today you might only win 51%, but that's a step in the right direction because the reason you're going downhill is you're losing the majority of the votes. So if you just alter that path and just win 51% of them today, you can start to build momentum and build progress. And when you start to get to 58% of them and 65% of them, what you'll notice is that when you start winning 75, 80% of them, it, all, it honestly becomes easier. So it seems really hard now to make a 10% change when you get, and you're looking at this massive thing, but when you get to 70%, it's easier than 50. When you get to 90, it's way easier than it was at 70. So that's one of the things that it's a mindset change. Like you said, like your poster says, you know, mindset is everything. Um, that's the biggest thing that we're trying to influence. And we do that many times through physical exercise, but exercise is not necessarily the goal. It's the vessel that, that is used towards exactly. you know, the pursuit of peak expression and you know total human optimization. And the way you described it was so cool. I love Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's such a good read for people if they haven't read that before. Once again, that's Atomic Habits by James Clear. And the, the quote that you referenced is, every behavior is a vote for who you want to become. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. I highly recommend people write that down because, yes, it is cliche. But guess what? Cliche also kind of works. Instead of just being married to the semantics and the, the ooh, I've heard that before. Or that sounds this way. It's like, actually look at defining it. Write it down. See what it means after you write it down. And I also think, PJ, you've mentioned to me before, the person I am today will never get the results that I want if I stay who I am. And, you know, we were talking about the alphabet earlier in, in one of your analogies. And it's like the guy that went from A to B is one guy, but the guy that goes from B to C is a completely different person. And they've acquired new skills and let go of things that were no longer serving them. And I think the pursuit of getting to this 
comes through what you mentioned, you know, overcoming some of the self-limiting beliefs and realizing that as you're winning 51% of, you know, trying to do the right thing, that does get easier over time. But then simultaneously, it enhances your self-respect. It enhances your confidence. You realize that that little trigger or that temptation actually doesn't have control over you. You have to externally grant that thing a permission slip in order to to allow it to live rent-free between your ears. And in the beginning, that's hard. It's hard to have a gate and a barrier to entry into your brain because there's so much input now. But over time, it's like you develop a fence and then that fence becomes external security. And that, you know, gets further and further out where you're able to actually protect and realize that the things that come into your brain, as you mentioned, like thoughts, you can allow them to pass. We don't have to believe and hold on to every single thought that we have. And so I think some of these analogies are really helpful for people. Are there any, is there anything that you'd like to add kind of as we tail in this little piece? I think to, to your point, I think those things give you a lot of power back as well. Because people struggle often with, and people, I mean, all people, including myself, I struggle with this all the time, is you start to look at these small things and you're like, why should I bother stretching today? So, Because I know that to really make an impact in stretching, I'm going to have to do it for X amount of hours every single day, and I'm not going to be consistent in it. So I literally had this thought the other day because I was... was started running again, experiencing a little bit of uh, plantar fasciitis. And I was like, okay, I need to start stretching my calves and stretching my, uh, you know, doing these exercises. And I started doing it the other night, like in the kitchen. And I was like, why am I even bothering? Am I really going to do this twice a day? And I was, it doesn't matter because I just got to win this one today. And then I'll win the one tomorrow and I'll win. But if I don't start, cause I just go, eh, it's not important, right? This thing is so small. It's so marginal. It's, this isn't important to the big picture, but it gives me the power back to be like, everything matters. And then it also gives you the power back when I go, I should have done those stretches this morning and I didn't do it. Oh man, I'm the worst. It's like, mm, I just got to win the, the majority, right? I lost that one, but I have an opportunity to win the next one and the next one and the next one. And therefore I'm going to win the majority. So it really gives you that power to focus on each thing. And, and I implement that in, into a lot of other areas of my life outside of training. It's overcoming resistance. It's the war of art. It's Stephen Pressfield. And I think it's, it's the power to start, but also the power to narrow your focus. And I think sometimes people look just too big. They're so obsessed with the outcome. And what I want to touch base with you next, PJ, is uh, I'm going to be a little controversial here, and I'm just going to paint a picture. You are an educator. And when I look at our education system, it's kind of around hey, I'm going to give you this lecture. You're going to note take on this lecture consistently over a period of time and try to absorb the information from the instructor. At the conclusion of that time period, you're going to take an exam. Based on your answers of that exam, you're going to receive a grade. That grade then determines your level and ability to conceptualize the lecture. And now I'm going to rate you as a human being and validate you based on this process. And what's so interesting is it, in my humble opinion, creates an unhealthy relationship with failure. It teaches most people to memorize and just try to, you know, think about just getting the right answer versus being able to critically think and conceptualize, which then allows people the tools in their toolbox to call audibles and understand relationships between things 
versus, oh, squat. I only know squat. I, I don't know what to do now. I'm stuck at a roadblock. Now anxiety is rising. My validation is decreasing. I'm failing. I am not good enough. And there's so much to unpack here, but I think it starts back at how our education system works. And you as an educator, I'm just very curious on your thoughts here because I'm sure things are starting to shift and I'm sure I'm not the only one thinking this way, but I do think it's important to allow this concept to float to the surface so people start to ask better questions and challenge the the arena of education a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And, and I won't pretend that I'm someone who's dove too much into the actual educational system the way we talk about it normally, but I have dove into education for the purpose of making it better in the systems that I was running. And a lot of what what I did was think about exactly your point. What are the ways that people are teaching different concepts? What are the ones that are effective and what are the ones that are not so effective? And how do I adapt it? Now, I'm fortunate when I'm creating those things, it's a very small sample size much harder to do when you're trying to apply at a university setting. And and there's a lot of variables that just don't make sense that I'm able to do in a small size, but that's, you know, written tests, I think is, is like the smallest bottom level of like, let's just check if you understand these principles from a theoretical perspective in the way that we're trying to convey them in order for us to build knowledge on top of it. So I always told the people when they came to our, our, Uh, internships and mentorships, your college education was simply to give you the scientific principles and background so that you'll understand all the stuff that I'm going to teach you. Because I'm not going to teach you anything that they taught you in college. And most of that is not really going to be applicable to what we're doing here. But as I start to talk about concepts, you'll be able, and the methods that I'm going to teach, you'll be able to think back on some of these principles that you may have learned from science. Let's let's use that as an example. You made the, the point earlier that humans are very dynamic. Humans are not a textbook, but all you learn in school is textbooks about what physiology and biology and kinesiology and how things, these things should, should work in, 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 uh, in the real world. Uh, and all that does is I think gives you the, the model to then be able to break it and say, okay, but that's not how it actually works. But now that I understand how it should work, I can understand what's happening and I can can adjust this. So I think for me, it was a lot more application. Uh, part of it was biased by the way I learn. Obviously I'm a, I'm one individual and there's t- different people who learn in different ways. But a lot of what I did was our coaches came in, we did brief lectures on some of the principles. Then the next thing was watching it be applied and breaking down why everything was happening. I forced this in two ways in our internships too. Uh, it was very, very helpful for us because I forced the interns to ask why. I, I would give them projects of building an exercise menu. And I said, nothing can be on your exercise menu if you don't, you don't understand the purpose of the exercise, why it's being implemented in a program. And that is a moving target because exercise can be programmed in a lot of ways, but you have to at least have a single why of how you would use this. And then you need to know how to coach it. And then it can show up on your menu. And what that forced them to do is when they shadowed a coach, they'd say, hey, hey, Coach Kyler, uh, why are you doing this rotational landmine thing with this athlete? Not only is that forcing the intern to learn that, but now that's forcing my coaches to think deeper about what they're doing. Because Kyler doesn't want to look stupid to the intern. So he has to say, hey, you know what I'm doing is the reason I'm doing it this way and I've adapted it here is because X, Y, and Z. So it, it forced a much deeper learning for all of our staff. Let me bookmark you there for a second. Another thing that I really love about that is 
not only are you creating a better relationship between intern and coach, but also subconsciously, this is becoming a sales technique now because you're able to justify the exercise selection to now the athlete, the member, or whoever the person is that's executing said program. And so I think being able to justify the why on the fly, as you mentioned, people perform better when they have something to train for or when they understand why they're doing something versus just spinning their wheels. And so I really love that you're discussing the five whys here because in turn asking a coach like Kyler, and he's now justifying, it just creates this conversation loop around education. And now everybody's on the same page and nobody's kind of left blindly in the dark. Yeah, it builds a ton of value. And, and I learned it because it's what happened to me because I had a coach following me around asking me why. And a lot of stuff I couldn't answer. There was times when interns would ask me a question and I'd be like, okay, I, I got to go back to the drawing board because I was not able to answer that effectively. And I need to really think about why I chose this exercise in this context and why it was the best selection or why it was the, you know, the, the five whys. I've got to really be able to explain that. If I can't, I'm not doing my due diligence to my client, to these interns, to the coaches that I'm managing. Uh, so it was a very, very good process for us to, to build that. Uh, and then we would invert that really quickly. And our interns were coaching within the first, I'd say two weeks of the internship. And part of that was because I did a lot of internships where I just shadowed and I cleaned stability balls and wiped down benches. And that's all I got to do. And, and I understand that sometimes it's like these interns are not experienced and I have clients paying a lot of money. So it doesn't make sense for me to ha have them do it. But the other side of that is I always wanted to develop those interns. That, that was my candidate pool for coaches. So when an intern finished the internship program, I wanted to be able to hire the people who were ready to train by the time they finished. And I've seen them coach in all different aspects. So I know who the best ones are. Now they started with coaching each other, but we'd run these internship meetings once a week. And it was like, okay, last week we learned about dynamic warmups. You guys have a week, practice your dynamic warmups, get together with other interns. Part of your job while you're here, if you're not shadowing a class is grab the other two interns and practice coaching each other through warmups. And then when we show up for next week's meeting, I go, all right, guys, we're going to do some uh, linear speed training today. Hey, intern, you know, whatever your name is, not, that's not how I talk to him because I respect my interns, but let's say his name was Kyle. Kyle, can you step out here? I want you to take us through the first four stages of a dynamic warm-up. Take the whole group. And they get an opportunity to coach their peers, to coach in front of me, and you know, a lot of trial by fire. But I, I felt like that really developed these interns rapidly. And it was super helpful for our business because halfway through the internship, I had interns that were running classes full classes with our, you know, our youth athletes and our adults, those people were not being paid to work there. They're being paid in education. They're getting a ton of experience. I'm getting labor in exchange for that. So it was a win-win situation. And I used to still pay my coaches to be on those classes. And their responsibility was now to uh, review the intern so they could give the intern feedback after the class. It's such a great way to combine theoretical knowledge with practical experience and implementation, which I think is rad. I also think it's cool that like, I mean, I, th this sounds exactly like my experience when I was an intern at Cal State Northridge. I don't know if you know the, uh, the strength coach that I worked for. His name is Jeff Krelling. He was there for a while and then he moved over to, uh, he's now the head strength coach at Harvard Westlake, a local school up in the LA area. And 
he was phenomenal in his implementation, his willingness to challenge us. He had us reading all kinds of varying articles and then giving feedback and what our thoughts were, striving to implement those things. And the other thing that I thought was really cool is when I got to practice the art of you know implementation, there were sometimes unique innovation that he hadn't seen before. And he's like, oh, where'd you get that? And then I sh- would share with him and it created this cool education system back and forth because I think it's really important too that the leaders within the industry are connecting with the younger, hungrier up-and-comers and that way they're enhancing tools in their toolbox as well. And I think that was such a, a humble learning experience around this concept of always be learning. Because going back to my original analogy with education, what I see as far as a zoomed out lens is people learn when they're young and then they earn and then they retire and then they die. And I challenge that. Why can't it be learn, earn and learn, retire, consult and learn, and then, you know, you, you move on to, you know, whatever is next, which I don't think any of us have that answer you know, those of us on this floating rock going through some sort of outer space thing. (laughs) And so what are your thoughts on the concept of always be learning? I don't think there's any other way to live. I, I, I am obsessed with that. So I think that in my experience and the people I've talked to, I'm obviously, I'm only 36, but I have, I've talked with a lot of people who are in their sixties and then in their seventies. And the ones that I see who, Look, feel, look and feel the youngest have the most enthusiasm for life. They're, they're lifelong learners. They're, I mean, Laird's a really good example of this. I know you guys spoke about this in, in your conversation recently. Uh, he's just obsessed. He's so curious. And that's something that I'm very, I believe I'm fortunate to have, whether I have that innately or I've created it through my life. I love learning new cons, new things. It, it's, it's actually a blessing and a curse because I spend I overwhelm myself easily because I try to learn learning how to speak Portuguese, learning jujitsu, learning surfing, learning the tactical games training, learning more stuff about work. I, I, I'm really obsessed with that. But I think, you know, I talk with um, my fiance Perla a lot about this because we are not super social people. We don't spend any time going out to dinners with groups and and going out for cocktails and stuff. And I think part of it is because I'm so, we, we are both so interested in learning new things that I would much rather get together with somebody who has something they're passionate about and interested in and can teach it to me. And I, I don't find that those conversations happen often over cocktails. It's a lot of just time wasting and talking about fantasy football or some bullshit on the news or whatever. Whereas I, I like to develop really deep relationships and, and get together for a sauna and ice bath. Uh, and therefore, we can sit there and talk about stuff and you come in and start sharing all this stuff you've been learning from people that are on your podcast. And I'm like, man, that's amazing. And you tell me this thing and I write that down and I go read that book. I think that's the only way to live. I think being habitually curious like that is, is a, a huge blessing uh, and keeps you driving towards something. And, and as instructors, it's something I teach often. It's, I always say it's the white belt mentality for instructors, when I teach a lot of the the art of coaching, I'm actually building something for this tactical training place that where I train and I'm building something for their instructors, which is like, it, things are going to evolve. So just because you did it this way for 20 years, you have to keep that mentality. You have to keep learning and evolving and adapting. Uh, otherwise you're just, 
it's going to be quickly outdated. For sure. I love that. The white belt mentality. I'm definitely going to gonna pin that down and write that down over here for, for future use. I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends over at Viore. They are bringing a new perspective on performance apparel. Their products are incredibly versatile and allow for freedom and flexibility in any arena. As humans, we are complex creatures, always on the move and always on the go. Allow Viore to join you as you navigate the complexities of the human experience. Whether you are training, adventuring, lounging, traveling, or attending meetings, Viore has options to suit your active lifestyle. My personal favorites are the men's core short and their line of Ponto performance products, which are so incredibly soft. Check these guys out over at viore.com slash Invictus Mindset for 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Invictus Mindset for 20% off your very first purchase and free shipping. Everything they have is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. It's so freaking comfortable that you won't want to wear anything else. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass, increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life. You mentioned too, like, you know, learning something within your version of social connection. I think what's so cool about that too is, is this concept of vulnerability, where if I'm chatting with you in 180 to 220 degree sauna, I'm going to be a lot more authentic because I'm in a very vulnerable state. Same concept uh, after getting into, you know, a very cold ice bath for a certain time domain and, you know, leaning into some of the sensations that come from the breath work and overcoming some of those challenges. And so what I also love about you, PJ, is that you're not into the, the surface level. You like going deeper than that and connecting with people on a truly authentic level. What are your thoughts on, on the concept of connecting around vulnerability where vulnerability is scary? It's something, especially in, in the male world, it's like, oh, no, we don't talk about our feelings. We don't talk about certain mistakes. We try to gloss that over, sweep that under the rug. But it's like, no, that's, that's, that is part of the human experience. I think it is. To, to your point, it, it's how you develop those deep connections. And I think it's really one of the only ways that I'm interested in connecting with people, which is probably why 
if you think about Laird and Gabby and, and how they, they kind of use their training as a filter for their social group, the, the people that they spend the most time with are the people that come over, do the pool training, do a sauna, do ice bath. And then afterwards they grab lunch and people come and go as a part of that group. But the ones who filter themselves out quickly are the ones who are maybe trying to hide something in themselves. And they're not willing to, to dive in and do that because doing those things makes you really vulnerable. And being vulnerable breaks down those barriers, which then allows us to connect. And I think that's part of what I love about doing things like that. I, I had a buddy that's asking me over the weekend what my plans were. And I had asked him and he said he was doing these different social things and going to this party and going to this thing. And he asked me what I was doing. And I was like, I'm doing a tactical games training workout right now. Then I'm going to do uh, a jujitsu session later and then I'm going to hopefully surf tomorrow morning. And then I think I'm going to do this other thing I want to learn. And I was in my mind, I looked at it, I'm like, that sounds crazy. But the people that I was trying to connect with for each of those things are people that are willing to come out and be vulnerable. That's how I know that we'll be able to connect because if you're willing to lean into this thing and, and get after it, then I know that there's a lot of things that we'll be able to talk about. You know, the conversations I have in the sauna, out in the water when I'm surfing, sitting on the mats after we just trained jujitsu. Those are the deepest friendships that I create. And I, it, it is always weird for me to talk about this to people that are not like you and I and that don't come from that world because it seems like you're, I'm somebody who's like obsessed with training. And really, it, that, that's just my social connection. I like to go do hard things with somebody to be vulnerable together and then to connect on that and, and find ways to deepen a relationship. And then um, I feel like that those are really where, where my friendships and relationships are connected. And that's a great example of where my fiance and I met. The whole reason we got connected was because we were both doing a lot of self work. And as we developed a friendship, we were willing to be vulnerable with each other because we both had this mutual trust of, hey, I've had a lot of challenges in my life and I'm doing some therapy to try to work through those things. And because you're doing the same thing, I'm open to sharing that with you, which is not something people talk about often because we were afraid of it, mostly men. We don't want to talk about the fact that we're in therapy and we're working on ourselves and trying to improve things and figure stuff out. So because we were vulnerable with each other like that, our friendship deepened rapidly and transitioned really quickly into a relationship. That's so cool. I also think there's such a special concept underlying what we're discussing right now. And that is the thing holding most people back is the story that they tell themselves. And so many people are afraid to be bad at something based on the social pressure, the judgment and the perception that others may, may have of them, which is 100% out of our control. What are your thoughts on, on that concept around the willingness to be bad at something and then over, over time striving to reframe some of the stories that we tell ourselves? I love that you said that because before we got on this call, I'm actually working on some of the purpose for the XPT experience next week. And we, we usually have like a theme of each day and that theme ties itself to every session and we, we talk about it and they journal about it. And the theme for day one is self-limiting beliefs. And we're going to start diving into self-limiting beliefs and the stories and the narratives that we tell ourselves. And we can frame it around training because I'm going to show you guys really quickly when I put you underwater in Laird's pool with dumbbells and tell you to walk there and back three times, or I get you in the freezing cold ice bath 
at some point you're going to tell yourself a certain narrative. You're probably telling yourself the narrative as I'm saying this to you. You're probably going, oh, there's no way I can do that. I'm, I can't hold my breath that long. So I think that's a huge, huge thing. And it's, it's so empowering to identify it. And I, I like to point out when I talk about these things, I think sometimes I talk about them like I have it all figured out. Really, I think the, the thing that I have that's probably a step ahead of a lot of people is just the self-awareness to be able to recognize that I struggle with all these things a lot. I struggle with this all the time as the performance director to XPT. If I go do a pool workout, I tell myself the story that everybody here is judging me because I should be the best one here because I work for a company that develops this kind of training. Same thing for any type of, when I go to jujitsu, I always tell myself that I can't be the one who gasses out. Even though I'm not the best jujitsu player, everybody here knows that I'm the strength and conditioning coach. I used to train a lot of these guys in conditioning. So therefore they expect me to be the most conditioned and therefore I have to show like I'm never tired. No, but most of the people there don't even give a shit that I'm there. But the fact that I tell myself that story sometimes can limit me for even like putting out. Like, oh, I don't want to go all out because then I'm going to gas out and then I'm going to look like the guy who gassed out. And those are these narratives that we that we constantly are always telling ourselves. Uh, you know, and that stuff's hardwired into us for evolution's sake. Like our brain is designed to tell us these self-limiting stories so that we don't push too hard and, and die. If I think, hey, I, I could probably jump from this, this edge of this cliff to the other side of that cliff over this 15-foot gap, my brain's immediately going to be like, no, you can't, way too far, you're not powerful enough, there's no way you're going to make it. Because if it didn't, you would just jump and a lot of people would die. So it's, it's constantly in there to, to seek those threats and to prevent you from taking unnecessary risks. Uh, but that's a huge limitation, particularly in, our, in our, our daily lives now where we're not really facing major threats. Uh, so that's a lot of, you know, if we go back to that, the person you ultimately come thing, ultimately become is a lot of what we're doing through that process, whether it's through fitness or through nutrition or through uh, dieting, through intermittent fasting, just to teach yourself that you're not, you're not beholden to these uh, beliefs about food. A lot of that is starting to rewire that and helping you to identify and become self-aware of where these self-limiting beliefs are coming up and where these narratives are coming up so that you can start to challenge that. And that's, I think, step one is developing the awareness and then challenging those beliefs. You made me think of a quote uh, that I think ties to this whole thing. I just heard recently, it was, I don't remember who it was from, this woman I was listening to. She said, most people won't become who they want to be because they're too attached to who they've been. Mm -hmm. And that attachment is because of the narratives we're telling ourselves. I'm not good at X or I'm not going to do that. I'm just not the person who does those things. And then we just attach to those stories and that dictates our lives ultimately. And it's a huge limitation to us accomplishing things in, in all areas. For sure. You just unlocked a memory that, that popped in my brain, which was this around this concept of identity. I actually remember being at Laird and Gabby's house. It was for an XPT experience, and they were having us identify ourselves based on name and maybe a, a bullet point on our resume. And I remember I said, uh, Bryce Smith, former professional basketball player and professional CrossFit athlete. And I remember hesitating on that and realizing those are things that I've done, not necessarily things that I do. And I am not validating myself based on function or based on a title. 
And I remember sitting with that and having a conversation later on. I think it was Gabby after a vulnerable pool session where I was borderline hypoxic and we were having a fun conversation. And I said, you know, I actually want to detract my answer. I'm a human and I'm an explorer and a professional mistake maker and a lifelong learner. And I thought somewhere in that was this deconstruction of ego associated with identity that came through the experience of doing hard things. What are your thoughts on this and how to kind of unlock that? Because so many of us have this title that sounds good on our LinkedIn profile or sounds good when we're announcing a podcast. But in reality, we're, we're all humans and we're navigating the complexities of this spiritual experience. Yeah, you reminded me as you said that of we're all humans navigating this. I Something that really, really struck home for me is something, uh, wisdom that was passed to me from from Perla, my fiance. We were talking about people and she's very empathetic. So I've learned a lot of that from her is I can be judgmental. I have very, very high standards for myself and therefore I hold everybody else to those standards. And I can be very judgmental and critical when people fail to meet those, which inevitably most of the time happens. So I remember saying something and she's like, you know, everybody's trying their best with the information that they have. And I, and I believe to some extent, I think that's true. Uh, there are certain people out there that are not trying their best, I think. But I think what it what it said to me is she she then positioned it as the whole purpose for us being here on this earth is to show up our best so that we can have the most impact in other people. And part of that, I was somebody, I know you and I talked in the past, I'm somebody who really strongly believes in the impact we have in other people and that that's our purpose. But I think part of what really helped me on that was the the show up our best part, because I believe strongly in the in sharing and in impacting other people, but almost the selfishness of me leaning into being the best I can be in every single aspect of my life is my responsibility so that I can have a bigger impact. So instead of sacrificing everything that I am, I actually have to lean harder into becoming more of what I am in order to be able to give more back. And maybe I took this on a different tangent, but I, you sparked that thought in my mind as like, we're all humans navigating this experience and doing our best. And that's just something that I think has really uh, helped in my life and goes back to our lifelong learner conversation. Part of that is because I love to do it, but part of it is that's ultimately what I believe I'm here for, is to keep learning as much as I possibly can and keep exploring and, and learning not only the thing itself, but the things I learn about myself through trying to do that thing. And therefore I can then have a bigger impact when we have these conversations or when I talk to my cousin who has some questions or, or any of those interactions that I have through navigating this kind of human experience. Totally. I, I think it's also cool that you have the courage to try. I mean, you look at strength and conditioning and then you look at jujitsu and then you look at surfing and now you're implementing elements of the tactical games and trying something new in a new arena. And Laird and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It, a lot of life too is not just trying to get better at the thing that we've already done, but try to expose ourselves to do something that we've never done. And what I also think is interesting to unpack there, and I think this, this next element of our conversation is really important for other people operating within the, the fitness industry is 
this quote, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. And you and I both know that within the fitness industry, right around that like 30 mark, people are like, well, I, I, I can't hang with the young people anymore. I don't have, you know, the eight pack. I don't have the same function. I am going to decrease my value, even though I've acquired all this wisdom along the way. I'm not good enough to perform in this field. And I think you and I are both in alignment around, screw that. Let's change the, the narrative there. And let's find other ways to enhance the impact. And sometimes that's in varying the stimulus in different arenas as you've had. Sometimes that's about thinking about concepts differently and perspective shifting. Sometimes that's about the implementation of the nine tenants that has so recently become popularized by the liver king. But it's like exposure to sunlight, exposure to heat and ice, dialing in real food, human connection. Sleep. These are things that are in our control that have nothing to do with how fast, what your HRV is, what, you know, how much you lifted. And what are your thoughts on other ways that you can enhance real impact for a broader community based on just doing the real simple things really well? I think that's the most important part of it that, that I talk about. And I've been fortunate to work with the, some of the most elite in the world in my career. I've worked with a lot of professional athletes, Olympians. Uh, special forces at, at the highest levels of the U.S. military. And one of the things I noticed the most is the more elite and the more complex the environment, the more those simple things really matter. And the people who don't have the foundation, those simple things, spend a lot of time focusing on them because they're, they've hit a glass ceiling. And we can't focus on any more of the quote-unquote elite training principles because we have this limitation in, in the most basic. So uh, my buddy, Dan Garner, who's a nutrition specialist, always talks about uh, he treats the human first and the athlete second. And that goes back to those, those tenets, those principles. If you're not doing those basic things, you will have a limitation in terms of how high we can build that pyramid because your foundation's not very strong or very broad. So with anybody that, that comes in, that looking at, those basic things that you can do, getting the sun exposure, having those human connections. I mean, we have the, uh, the five pillars at XPT, which is breathing, movement, uh, recovery, connection, and fuel. And in those, we obviously have things that can be broken down. But what we try to do is help people identify those are the simple things. And it doesn't matter if you come to me as a military special forces, a UFC fighter preparing for a world championship, or, uh, you know, Joe down the street who just wants to improve his health, I'm looking at those five pillars and I'm going to assess you in those areas and figure out where your limitations are and figure out where your strengths are. And, and the, the more elite you are, the more you've probably figured out how to really maximize one or two of those lanes or one or two of those pillars. And therefore, the more impact I can have by focusing on on focusing less on overflowing those buckets and focusing on filling those ones that are that you haven't spent a lot of time in. Yeah, for sure. I want to lean a little bit into nutrition here because nutrition isn't just what we put in our mouth. It's what we see, what we hear, the energy that we choose to be around and absorb, uh, the people that we spend the most time with. And, you know, I can go on, but it's information digestion. You know, you can open a newspaper or anything and they're utilizing controversial things to spark your interest, to try to over-dramatize what's going on to 
instill what I call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you've had a few talks on your Instagram live about this in the past. And I, I think you do a great job describing this, but you know, we're talking about simple principles within health and fitness, but we kind of operate under, underneath this, this fitness umbrella. People outside of this, oh wait, I need to consume more grains according to the food pyramid and you know, sun exposure, like I don't want to get skin cancer and I need more sunscreen. And I'm not saying those things are wrong and I don't want to best bastardize our medical system, but I do want to create some, some healthy debate and conversation around it because there's so many conflicting opinions out there that just create utter confusion in, in the natural consumer. Yeah, I think t- two avenues on that. One, we definitely are what we consume and, and that goes into everything. Information is a big part of that. And I have a very strict information diet that I'm very critical of. Uh, Even in the, I've cut out the majority of of the negative inputs and information that I get. Uh, But even in my friendships, the people who like to gossip and who like to just talk about negative things. And I I cut a lot of those people out or, or I filter them. I don't necessarily cut them out, but I don't spend nearly as much time around them and having those conversations. And when I do, I try to uh, pay attention to my tendency to fall into that conversation to, to deepen that connection and see where I can alter that course. Uh, but I even find it now in social media, I follow a lot of people in the tactical community because that's something I've been really into. And a lot of them do really cool training and talk about gear and it's super interesting. However, a lot of them position their training because a lot of them teach tactical training, self-defense. So the way to capture that is to show constant videos of people getting shot and stabbed and and all, all of the things that can really happen to you in the real world. And I understand that part of that is the uh, trying to show people the reality of the world. But because of the fact that I follow a lot of those people, my view becomes to get altered, where now I'm constantly seeing these videos. So it makes me start to think that everyone's getting robbed and everyone's getting stabbed. And it's every time you walk out your door, you're going to be shot at. So you see how that starts to change your mindset because of the consumption that I have, just the same way as if I ate, you know, if I watch 12 of those videos every day, it's the same as if I ate 12 donuts every day. Eating one donut once a month is never going to be a problem for me, but eating 12 every day is going to really alter the course of my physical body and, and all of those things. Uh, so I think that's one thing about the, the consumption. It's super important for people to understand. I think it's just interesting, really, that like, I mean, you look at Netflix, you look at shows and people are striving to get to acquire this altered state of consciousness. And I think in the process of that, whether that's a dopamine hit from donuts, whether that's, you know, alcohol, marijuana, use of an external stimulus or a drug, they're trying to change their their headspace. And I think those things that I just mentioned come with them side effects. And, you know, we could get into a conversation around pharmaceutical drugs and how, you know, if you take one thing, it typically has another medication to counter the side effects from that first medication. And now, you know, doctors get to bill the insurance more and, and blah, blah, blah. And so n- my argument is when we lean into these nine ancestral tenants and you think about consumption and having a strict, you know, diet around that, it's also what things can we do that have a high return on investment and limit the potential side effects? And I think that is a, is a safe space to operate that enables you to try to make the ultimate best decision for you 
to become who you are seeking to become in a safer way without potential for higher risk events. Yeah, and I think part of that too is understanding the way the brain is biased from from a biological perspective. I think that's another impactful thing because a lot of people don't understand. They think that they want to make that decision because it, it the fact that I want that donut so bad or I want to sit and watch Netflix so bad, it, fighting against this just doesn't feel natural to me. You know, my intuition tells me that I should do this. And the reality is, it's because your brain and your body and all those things are designed to help you seek comfort. And that is, a, in this exact moment, is actually a really good thing for you. But over time, when you're always seeking comfort is actually really bad for you. And that's where I think those those ancestral tenets that you keep talking about is, uh, is so critical because you can implement those things. And a lot of those are about seeking discomfort. And I think that that is, when people understand that and when you understand that, as you have that feeling or as you go to make that choice and you're struggling with what you should do and what your brain's telling you should do, most of the time leaning into the uncomfortable decision is probably a better decision for you. And I think that the more often you do that, again, winning the majority of the votes, if you seek discomfort more often than you end up seeking comfort, you're going to end up growing because comfort is the antithesis of growth. So uh, I think that's a part that people just don't really have a good conception of because we've just been taught and told and, and society and, and, and everything is telling us that like, we want to be comfortable and, and I need that marijuana every day in order to, to sleep or just to feel better. I just, it, it's not an addiction. I just do it three times a day, every day. Our brains find ways to justify for sure. Exactly. And you're uncomfortable with something and therefore that's why you wanted to change your state, which is why you use that drug every day and you use those things. So I think that's a really important thing for people to understand and, and probably one of the biggest premises of my life at this point and everything that I teach people is seeking discomfort. That's another one of one of my favorite books uh, is The Comfort Crisis. Yep. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to bring that up. And one of the thoughts that comes to mind is when you are standing in the ice bath and you're getting ready to sit into it and you're having these thoughts and trying to play with breath work, you know, as you mentioned as well, I do the ice bath every day. It is challenging every day. I have thoughts, oh, I, don't, I don't really need to do it today, but, but it's that concept that you've mentioned before, which is I always regret it when I don't do it. I never regret it when I do. And it's, it's this feeling that you have afterward. And this thing that's so cool is when I originally get in there, everybody that's done it before knows that first 45 seconds is, is challenging. You're imposing anxiety on yourself. And then you, you're dialing in your nasal breathing and you're nuzzling yourself in and trying to get the water to the groin in between your toes, into your armpit, up and into the thyroid. And there's this unique mantra that I like to play with, which is I'm in control of my thoughts. My thoughts are not in control of me. And I think that small, subtle statement can bleed into so many aspects of life. Now that is, I'm having this thought about the donut, but I'm actually in control of what goes into my mouth. I can choose to have that donut in the privacy of my home and kind of closet eat and nobody will know, but I will. And I think that there, there becomes this unique debate between 
character and reputation. Your character is who you really are. Your reputation is who others think you are. And so if you eat that donut consistently, I think personally that it leads to a subtle disrespect for yourself where you no longer have control of your thoughts. And I think the subtlety there bleeds into relationships, bleeds into finances, bleeds into not putting your grocery cart away, running stop signs, leaving trash on the side of the road. And you can see the domino effect here into you not being a great contributor to the world. You're actually contributing to the problem. And Elon Musk summarizes it great. He goes, be useful. I don't know that that's being useful. And so I think there's so many little mindset tricks that I've learned from you that I, I just really wanted to touch on those and how they've domino affected into other elements of life. I think that's the most important part. I think that's why I'm so passionate about what I teach and, and I apply those principles. Again, I, I fail often in applying those principles, but I, I think I win the majority of the votes on a lot of these areas because I believe that how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I am consistently forcing myself in, in my closet by myself when no one else is there to say, I'm the type of person who will lean into the discomfort. I'm the type of person who will do this. And, and when I try to make one of those decisions, I am able to challenge that. Just like when I go in the ice bath in the backyard and no one's here and I go, man, I don't, I'm going to think I'm going to do five minutes today. And I get in and go, you know what? I, I'm not really feeling good. And I don't have five minutes. I got to take a shower. That allows me the opportunity to go. I'm the type of guy who will push in, push through that discomfort and who will find a way to, to uh, persevere. And I can do that in the ice bath, just like I can do it in, in a lot of these other situations. So I think that's, it's a super powerful thing. And that's one of the reasons many people, when I first started with XPT, you'd have all these strength and conditioning coaches who would come out and try to, I'd post something about ice baths and you'd have the people who'd comment like, have you really read the studies that show blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you guys are so stuck in the minutia. You're majoring in the minors here. Like one, I do believe that there's benefits to physical recovery for athletes for this, but that's not what I'm talking about. And that's not what most of the people who come here are learning from us. And that's not why I use it myself most of the time. There's so much more that you can learn from that. That's just like saying like going for a walk is not going to be enough physical exercise for X, X, you know, aerobic benefit. And it's like, yeah, but what about the person that you become by just going for a walk? And now all of a sudden you're a walker and you're a person who, who walks 30 minutes a day. And that has a snowball effect into every other area of your life. If you can do that, but also doing it with the intent of, you know, some people will do that and we'll just force you through that. We'll put you in the ice bath and you'll become that person and won't even know that that's what you're trying to do until all of a sudden you've made those changes in your mindset it's even more powerful if you go in with the intent of I am doing every one of these things to continuously prove to myself that this is the person that I am and I'm the type of person that seeks discomfort or I'm the type of person who can control my mindset and my mind, my mind, you know, my thoughts won't control me. Whatever those mantras are that helps you to, to force through, if you can approach things with, those, with that intent, I think it's really, really powerful. For sure. What are your thoughts on failure? You know, you have this expectation to, let's say, like you mentioned before, get in the ice bath for five minutes. And let's say you do have a, a mental moment where you just get out. You give in to that, that subtle voice. And that, that is going to happen on occasion. I think a lot of people can relate to this. And rather than succumbing to, I'm not good enough, I failed today, um, you know, w w what are your thoughts and some advice that you can give there? Is it, you know, okay, you fell off the path? 
All you got to do is next time just get back, get back on the path. You know, what kind of things do you do in the coaching space around the, this word failure? I think there's a lot of stuff you can do there. I actually, on the whiteboard in my gym right now, I was listening to a podcast when I was working out and I heard this quote and I wrote it on the whiteboard and it's been there for a few weeks and I look at it often and it just says, if you don't fail, you're not even trying. And I think about that in a lot of context because I think it's a great point. I remember hearing another, uh, somebody saying that instead of asking his children when they come home that from school that day or that week, instead of saying, celebrating all the successes, he asked them, what did you fail at this week? Or what did you fail at today? Celebrating those failures. And I think celebrating failures seems like, uh, it seems like the wrong way to do it. But I think the purpose of that is we're not celebrating you staying in your comfort zone and, and just having successes in everything you do. You know, you, you have to have failures in order to learn and, and push yourself. That, that is the white belt mentality. A white belt fails most of the time. And the fact that they keep showing up is, is showing them that, 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 that failure is part of the learning process. So I think it's a super important thing. But I think the other side of that is also recognizing that those failures are important and you can let them go because you just have to win the majority of the votes. So when I do get in that ice bath, I know I could sit in the ice bath for three minutes. I could do it every single day because I've done it a million times. But if I get in and I go, I think I'm going to try to go for seven minutes today. See if I can control my breathing and my mind for seven minutes. And I only do five. That was an opportunity for me to challenge myself. So I can celebrate that as like, man, it would have been easy for me to set the goal at three and then just know that I can do it and do three all the time. But that wouldn't have taught me anything about myself. So I think there's so much we can learn from failure and you, sh- you should be setting things up so that you are going to fail. I remember listening to Andrew, was it Andrew Huberman talking about the 85-15 rule of, of learning? Uh, I think it was motor learning, but you know, a really simple way of showing people that if you succeed 100% of the time, you get bored and you don't learn. If you fail 80, 80% of the time, you, it's too much chaos and you don't learn. But if you find this kind of balance of succeeding about 85% of the time and failing 15% of the time, that's one of the most optimal ways to learn a new skill. That's a really health, healthy relationship. And I think it bleeds into this concept of chasing edges and always seeking that edge and not always just kind of staying in the spot where you know you're going to be successful. And I think other times it is important. You got to get that win. And I think, uh, you know, some of these data trackers kind of help with that. You know, the Whoop on occasion, you know, you can use that as a tool or a reference point. I know the Garmin and the Apple Watch and some of these other ones do it too, where it's like, hey, if you got a great recovery score and, you know, your HRV is optimal that day and you've dialed in your sleep for the week, it's like, okay, maybe today might be a good opportunity to go seek that edge. And then other days, you know, you're, you're in the yellow or you're in the red, you haven't slept well, HRV is a mess. Hey, we need a win that day. We got to build some momentum and realize that we can we can overcome obstacles even when we're not feeling our best. And PJ, you do such a great job using metaphors, creating analogies, helping knuckleheads like myself understand some of the complexities within the world. And the last thing I'd like to touch with you on as you're getting ready to go work out is this concept of non-negotiables and really creating certain things in your life that nobody's allowed in that. For some people that's training, for sometimes that's quiet time with their family in the evening. Um, what are, what is your thoughts on non-negotiables and what are some of the ones that you practice in your day-to-day life? 
Training is definitely one of them. And I, I use the term training loosely because training is doing something for me that's going to add to the tank, that's going to fill, fill that tank up. So that today it's going to be a hard training session. Tomorrow it might be a sauna and an ice bath. Saturday it might be a breathwork session. Uh, but but that's always a, a block that I have. I have a non-negotiable um, training is, is definitely one. Learning is another. I have to be learning something every week. And, and usually for me, it's it's actually way too many things. But I have at least one session every week that's me learning something from somebody. whether And paying a, usually paying somebody to do it because that's the best way for me to learn is and be accountable. Is I'm, I'm going to pay you to teach me this new skill uh, once a week. And then um, I think the other non-negotiable that, that I work on a lot in our relationship is uh, eliminating phones. From, and this isn't something that is even spoken as much as it's a non-negotiable that I know I work on in myself and I know Perla does as well. When we are connecting, when we're doing things at, at night, when we get together, I guess the, way, the better way to look at this is being all in. So in my relationships, I focus on being all in. If you and I go out to lunch, I'm not taking work calls. I'm not to sending, if, if I have to send a work text message, I'm going to say, hey, Bryce, I, I apologize. I have something really important going on that I really need to dive into. I want to give you my full attention. I need to send this message real quick and then I'll come back and then I'll probably apologize again because I just, I have so many people in my life that I've had relationships with where you go out to lunch with them and they're, they're putting the football game on or they're, they, they got some, some, so many other things going on. They're only halfway there. Uh, and I just recognize how that feels on the, on my end. So when I try to deepen those connections, I want to be all in. And we mentioned that, you know, when I was in on vacation with my family in Mexico last week, I did no work. It was, I was there to spend time with my friends and my fam, my fiance and my family and deepen those relationships 100%. And that's what I was there for. Uh, so that's, I think, a thing, a non-negotiable for me is if I'm going to be in it, I'm going to be all in. I love that, PJ. Creating non-negotiables around boundaries and truly practicing the art of presence and being where your feet are. I, I admire that with the utmost respect. And I'm always so appreciative when I get to cross paths with you. What are some of the cool things that you're working on with uh, FitLab and XPT? So many exciting things coming. Uh, XPT, we've we're, we've got an experience next week, which we're stoked about because we haven't been doing a ton of those. So that'll be the first one. Uh, we did one last year and that's all we've done since uh, the pandemic. Super excited about that. And then the end of this year, we're, launch we're launching a bunch of new stuff in the app right now that Kyler and I are working on. We'll be launching studios for XVT near the end of the year, which are going to be a huge project. We've put a lot of work into, and I'm really excited about it because I, it's going to be a way that we can help bring all these things to life for people, for more people. And the, those of you who listen to this podcast and went, all that stuff sounds great, but uh, how the hell do I do all, how do I balance all these pieces and put them together? And that's what our coaches will be trained to do is help you to put those pieces together. Um, We'll be launching, and we'll be launching studios for all of the brands in FitLab. So we're really excited. Obviously, I'm really excited about XPT because I've been so close to that brand since 2017. Um, but <clears throat> we're also launching studios for McGregor Fast this year, which are going to be awesome. Uh, really excited to work with Connor and his team to bring some of those concepts out. The Notorious. Yeah, he's been a lot of fun to work with and, and his team. We're launching studios for Ragnar, which is a uh, racing brand that we've recently acquired, which has been really fun to conceptualize. So we've got studios and events 
for uh, and apps, basically, depending on which. Some of those brands already have events, but we're launching studios and apps. Some of them have apps. We're launching studios and events. So really, really excited about all the stuff. Our teams are just building and building and building. And then the next 12 months, 12 to 24 months is going to be like executing and unveiling all this stuff to the world and letting people come in and use it. And that's something I'm really, really excited about. I'm excited for it too. I had the fortunate experience to connect with you and the amazing Kyler and some of the app development for XPT and seeing how you guys piece together some of the mindset and the puzzle pieces as a gentle peek behind the curtain. So I highly recommend people check that out. There's some cool things in there and you got a Little little piece of PJ today and him sharing some of the magic that lives in between his ears. For those of you that enjoyed my conversation with PJ today, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends. And as always, stay on the hunt for who you've not yet become. Are you over 35 and in need of a solid training program? Are you looking to improve your athleticism and keep up with the younger athletes in your CrossFit gym? then look no further than our Invictus Master's Program. This program places year-round emphasis on mobility and stability exercises with movements that we have seen directly benefit our Master's athletes. Our program is led by Nicole DeHart and offers a training program designed specifically for Master's athletes who are looking to compete at a higher level in the sport of CrossFit. Some of our top Master's athletes in the world train with us, including CrossFit Games champion Kevin Kester, Matt Beals, and Pat Sprague. You can learn more about their stories and the Invictus Masters program by checking out their episodes right here on the Invictus Mindset Podcast. If you'd like more information about the current training cycle or to join the Invictus Masters program, please email Nicole at InvictusAthlete.com. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-E at InvictusAthlete.com. Com. Breathing, movement, circulation, digestion. What do all these body functions have in common? Our muscles. There are over 600 muscles in the human body that are responsible for supporting our daily activities. That's why your muscle health is incredibly important. On this podcast, I always discuss seeking our peak expression and striving to maximize our human potential. And so I try to share with you the top products that I find on the market. My HMB is a clinically proven ingredient that has been shown to help build and maintain lean muscle mass, increase strength, improve recovery, and enhance body composition. Learn more about your muscle health at myhmb.com slash Invictus. Once again, that's myhmb.com slash Invictus. Enhance your muscle health and enhance your life.